This morning I am going to talk, like you heard a minute ago, about Mary and Martha from Luke 10. So you can turn to Luke 10 if you have your Bibles. And I'll give you a minute to turn there. I won't make you turn all over the place, though. We're going to read from Luke 10. And then you can just keep your finger there. And we'll kind of jump around a bit. But I want to share with you probably the most important lesson that my mom ever taught me. Now, my mom has definitely not been perfect, and she's had some rough times in her life, even in her adult ministry life. But one thing I know for sure about my mom is that she really loves Jesus. Aaron can attest to the fact that you can't spend an hour with my mom, a half hour with my mom, without hearing about what Jesus is doing in her life and without her asking you what Jesus is doing in your life. And that doesn't just go for friends and acquaintances. We would pull up to gas stations growing up, and she'd say to the attendant, can I ask you a question? Where are you at with Jesus? I heard her say that all the time, in restaurants, everywhere. But that's her view on life. It's Jesus, Jesus, and only Jesus. And she's passionate about Jesus and seeing other people come to know Jesus. And this lesson that we're going to learn today is one that I need to be reminded of as much as anybody in this room. And it's one that I learned from my mom. And it's probably the most important one that I've ever learned from her. So again, we're going to be going to Luke 10, 38 through 42. And we're going to see two different perspectives. A lot of times we come to this passage, I think, and we talk about Mary and Martha. And are you a Mary Christian or a Martha Christian? And a lot of times we say the Marthas are the type A personalities that are always working, working, working. I'm kind of that personality. I do kind of really connect with that. <laughs> I resonate with that kind of perspective, and I realize the problems with it. But this passage isn't a passage written to type A personalities. This is a passage written to every single one of us today. And what we read here is literally relevant every single day of your life. And I'm going to make a bold claim right here. If you get what we say... Today, If you get what we learn today, it will transform every aspect of your life. And I'm not overselling this, guys. This comes from Jesus' own mouth. Jesus says this is the only thing that is needed. If our Lord and Savior says something is the only thing that is needed, then we can confidently say this is a very big deal, right? <laughs> Probably bigger than any other deal in his own words. So the next 30 minutes could really be life-changing. And I hope that you'll really connect with what I'm saying and take this home and do more than just connect with it. I pray that you and I will apply this in our lives. Right? In James we read, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If I hear this and I don't apply it, I'm deceiving myself. Right? But if I hear this and I apply it, if I start to actually live my life like, this is really true. If I, if I actually start to believe that the only thing that is needed is really the only thing that is needed, it will change everything. So I hope that you really connect with me for the next 30 or so minutes and hear what God has to say. I saw a meme on Facebook that one of our staff guys put up last week. And it had a picture of all these ISIS militants with their flags and everything. And it said, the biggest threat in the world today is not ISIS. The biggest threat in the world today is lukewarm Christianity. And I thought, that's, that's true. There's, there's a lot of truth to that. Right? We need more people that are going to put this only thing that is needed into practice and not live the lukewarm, casual Christian lifestyle. And that's what we're going to talk about. So let's go to Luke 10, 38 through 42, and let's read what Jesus says about the only thing that is needed. 
As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Mary chose the one thing that was needed, and Jesus wasn't about to take that away from her. So let's dig into what's going on here and get past the uh, type A personality, that's what's going on. Let's go a little bit deeper than that and see what's happening in this passage. I think what we see here is two Christian perspectives that each of us has the choice every day whether or not we're going to look at life in it. And that's why our perspective changes everything, okay? Every day I have a choice about how I'm going to look at my circumstances, my situations, etc. I'm just going to give you a really short example that I didn't even plan to share. Last fall, our transmission went out in our van, right? And this wasn't convenient. It was at a time where we really, we actually had the money to fix it at that time, but we're saving it for this transition to Albuquerque. I did not want to be spending it on getting the transmission fixed. So we go to ask these mechanics what it's going to be. The cheapest I could find was $3,500, right? I thought that's not what I want to be spending right now. So anyway, we ended up taking it to these guys. It ended up taking four months to get it fixed, and as soon as we got it back, it broke down again. Uh, they refunded the money. It was great. But in the middle of this very chaotic situation, Aaron and I prayed about this, and we realized, what's our perspective on this? Is God just bumbling around and messed up and accidentally let our transmission get blown? No. God is involved in this. What is going on? Well, in that little situation, as it got drawn out for four months, one of the mechanics put his trust in Jesus. We talked through the objections that he'd had. He's married to a Christian woman. And we talked through all the things that had kept him from putting his faith in Christ for many years. He ended up putting his trust in Christ. Another one of the mechanics is fighting hard against God. And we got to share with him, and we didn't go very far, but we did get to share with him. Another one of the mechanics, the owner of the shop, is somebody that one of the other mechanics has been witnessing to for many years. We got to share with him because week after week when it wasn't done, I'd say, look, my hope is in Jesus, not this car. And he kept saying, I can't believe that perspective. He's very open and wants to continue meeting to talk more about Jesus. Finally, there was this Christian mechanic that had been sharing his faith with his workplace, feeling all alone. We got to encourage him. We got to talk to him. We got to tell him, keep up the fight in your workplace. Keep reaching your workplace for Christ. Now, was God accidentally bumbling around, letting us get into this situation? Not at all. But it took a perspective change for me to realize I want to be on the same page with what God is doing, not looking at my transmission issue as some horrible situation, but realizing God is in this, and my perspective makes all the difference. So the first perspective that I want to talk about is demonstrated by Martha, right? This is a type A personality that's focused on getting things done and all this. She's not at all a bad Christian. I think she gets a bad rap. She actually makes some very profound statements about Jesus in John 11 that show that she had incredible faith and she actually knew who Jesus was when a lot of other people didn't have a clue. So she's not just this, this weak follower of Christ that doesn't have a clue, but she is... In this instance, 
very focused in the wrong area. Her perspective is wrong. Luke 10, 40 through 41 says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And this is where Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. So in this passage, we read that Martha was distracted, anxious, troubled, worried, upset, busy, rationalizing, and even, this struck me kind of crazy, demanding of Jesus himself. <laughs> Could you imagine going to Jesus and saying, make this person do this, All right? What an incredible perspective. She had the wrong perspective here. But can you relate to that? Right. Don't I demand from Christ certain things? God, get this transmission fixed. Don't let it take four months. Right? I don't want to spend this money on this thing. Can you please solve the issue? Why aren't you working in my life right now? I'm unaware at that point that he is working in my life right now. It just isn't the way I thought or planned or expected he would. He's waiting for me to get on the same page with him not for him to get on the same page with me, right? But Martha was in this place that all of us, type A or not, get. We all, every day, find ourselves in situations where we have the choice to say, am I going to see this with God's perspective or not? What is my perspective as I enter life today? Martha's perspective, I want to I put a phrase on it, was an anything but Jesus perspective. That is kind of harsh, right? She had Jesus Christ himself in her living room. Can you imagine that? Can you even imagine that? And she's worried about dishes and cooking. We do this with our lives. He's just as present in our lives today as he was in her living room. But a lot of times we approach life with an anything but Jesus perspective. Right? I get some free time. The last thing I'm going to do with it is go deep with God. Right? I, get, I get a situation in my life. The last thing I'm going to do is trust God to do what he wants in my situation. A lot of times I can have an anything but Jesus perspective where I call myself a Christ follower, but he really is the last thing that I'm going to run to in that given situation. Isn't that true? Right? Can you guys all connect with times in your life? Do you connect with this? Do you remember times where you approached life this way? Maybe this morning? I know I have. See, the problem isn't just a workaholic type A problem. This is a human problem. It's a problem where I tell myself that it's okay to be distracted from Jesus, anxious, troubled, worried, upset, busy. It's okay to rationalize all that and not believe that Jesus and time with him is the only thing that is needed. It's okay to be even demanding of God when I encounter situations that aren't pleasant or not what I expected. See, I can have this Martha perspective Every single day. I can have this anything but Jesus perspective at any given moment. I can see my life and my relationships with an anything but Jesus perspective and still believe that I'm following him. Now there was a student that demonstrated this, and I won't share his name, but several years ago, there was a student that I would meet with almost every single week. And he would tell me, I believe that Jesus is God in human flesh. I believe that he died for my sins and rose again to give me new life. And I believe that I'm a sinner that needs his, sal his forgiveness. And he would say, I grew up believing all this, and I still believe it's true, but I want to have my fun. And we'd meet week after week after week, and he'd say, I just want to have fun before I get serious about God. I just want to have fun before I get serious about God. I just want to have fun before I get serious about God. 
guess what? He got killed on this highway that goes through Pagosa. Hit head on with a semi-truck. I'm not going to say that he never got serious about God. In fact, shortly before his death, he put on Facebook one of his favorite quotes was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. I hope that he took that to heart and decided to live for Jesus. We talked about that very passage. I don't know. But what I do know is he lived life consciously deciding and choosing to have an anything but Jesus perspective. I know he's right. I know he's true. I know he's the only way, but I'm choosing anything but that right now. What I respect about him, though, is he was honest about it. And a lot of times I rationalize it, and I'm not honest that I have that same perspective. Even in ministry, guys, it's easy to say I got 97 ministry things that I need to do for God, right? The last thing I do is go spend time with God. I think maybe ministers and people in ministry have a greater problem with this than anyone else because it's easy to kind of trick ourselves that we are connecting with God because we're serving him. When in reality, he wants us, he wants our time, he wants our, our heart, he wants us. Okay, the second perspective is different. And this is the one that I hope that we can all emulate. This is Mary. It says in scripture that Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. He said that only one thing was needed and that she chose that and that it wouldn't be taken away from her. She knew what was needed and she was going after Jesus. It was Jesus alone and she knew that. This is different than the anything but Jesus perspective. This is the nothing but Jesus perspective. This is the person that says, look, in life, there's nothing but Jesus that I need. When my transmission goes out, I don't need a new transmission. I don't need a new car. I don't need more money to fix it. I need nothing but Jesus. Because when he has his rightful place of authority in my life, guess what? Everything else turns out how he wants it to turn out. And that's better than it could ever turn out the way I could engineer it. Isn't that true? This is the nothing but Jesus perspective that we desperately need. I desperately need this. Mary was patient. She was focused. She was listening, attentive. She was wise, choosing the right thing. She was relational. She was willing to connect with Jesus, to relate to him, and to love him. I know all of you probably in here, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can remember times where you were there. And hopefully you had that time like your mother, John, this very morning, connecting with Jesus deeply, and then letting that be the context of the rest of your day. I need more of that in my life. And I know all of us here do. This perspective really comes down to making a, a, a decision to let Jesus be everything, to see life with a nothing but Jesus perspective. Now here again, I want to talk about my mom's example. She's not perfect. She's made some big mistakes, and she's had some great, great successes in ministry. Right now, she's literally living and serving in a place where she, for all we know, could be dead this morning because of her heart for God. But it's because she has this nothing but Jesus perspective. And she comes and she tells us about the Muslims that she works with and how desperately they need Jesus. These Muslims actually used to be Christians before they were conquered with the sword and converted to Islam against their will. And they'll even say to her, she has said, we feel like we've been missing Jesus for centuries. Isn't that sad? Thank God somebody's willing to say nothing but Jesus. I'm going to go there and meet those people with the gospel. Um, so 
as we look about all, at all this, Jesus said only one thing was needed. And Mary had chosen that. She had this nothing but Jesus perspective. So here's the, the one thing that's needed. It's Jesus, right? We complicate things very much in life. And it really boils down to this. Jesus himself said the only thing that is needed is that time together with him. He said it, not me. This is the most important thing I could ever latch on to. You have problems in your marriage. Maybe your spouse has issues. Maybe you have issues. I guarantee you both do. Aaron and I sure have issues. <laughs> right? Maybe your circumstances aren't perfect. I promise you they're not. But what's the one thing that you need in your marriage? Jesus. I promise if you're individually drawing near to him and doing that as a couple, those problems are not going to destroy your marriage. I talk with guys all the time that struggle with porn and they just can't get out of this cycle. What's the one thing they need? Fewer electronic devices? They'll find a way. More internet security? All of our staff use Covenant Eyes. Most of our students use Covenant Eyes on our phones, on our computers, on everything. Is that going to solve the problem? It could help. But it's the only thing that's needed is Jesus again. If my heart is where it needs to be with Jesus, he changes me from the inside out. It's more than any software could ever do. Financial problems, the one thing you need is Jesus, right? He's, he's the one that meets every need that you have, that can help you wisely use the money he gives you and make the most of it. Not witnessing enough. Here's a huge one. A lot of times we talk to Christians. I know I need to share my faith, but I just never get around to sharing my faith. I never do it. Well, maybe they need to learn some techniques. I think so. I think that's important. Maybe they need to get some good tools. I think that's very important. Again, we'll be training people on that at this conference this summer. That's all good. But I often tell people when I teach on evangelism, the problem goes much deeper. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if Jesus isn't coming up in my conversations, it's not because I don't have enough evangelism tools. It's because... He doesn't have his rightful place in my heart. Because if he really did, he'd come out somehow, some way, right? I love my wife, and she comes up in my conversations. If you're not sharing enough, if you're not witnessing enough, the problem isn't I need more training or I need more books. It's I just need more of Jesus. I need to connect with Jesus. Are you getting the point? The only thing that is needed is more of Jesus. I mean, if, if I can connect with him deeply every single day and live the rest of the day in that context of intimate fellowship with him, that will really solve everything. It doesn't mean that all my circumstances will be perfect. I promise you that. But what it means is he will be working in every one of those circumstances for his own glory and my own good. And I can trust him and have joy and peace no matter what I face when that's the context of my life. So the one thing that is needed is more time with Jesus, deeper fellowship with Jesus, this context of fellowship with him. Jesus talked to his disciples, and he said, Seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Everything else comes when he is my focus. Does that make sense? When he's where he needs to be, everything else Makes sense. Everything else happens the way it needs to. All right. I was thinking about this the other day. There's a bank account that I have, and it actually kind of enrages me 
But every time I try to log on, the password never, ever, ever works. And I save it, and it doesn't work. And I don't remember it, because I forget things like that, and I don't remember where I put it. So I go in and I try to reset the password, but their reset system never works. <laughs> it's extremely annoying. Have you ever been there, right? Where you keep trying and trying, and you're like, so a few weeks ago, I actually called them, and I, I talked to them for 30, 40 minutes. And I was like, Ugh, you guys need to fix this system because it is horrible, right? And I know, I always tell them, I know you didn't make this system, but it's the worst system ever. Like, how can it not update my password, all right? So I was thinking about this this weekend because I was trying to do some things and trying to straighten some things out and trying to get this password all figured out. I finally put it in a place where I, where I won't forget it. And it hit me that this is kind of the one thing that's needed. When I need into that account to do something, there's one thing I need, and that's this password. And nothing else works. And it occurred to me it's real similar in my life. A lot of times I approach life, and I'm trying to push button after button after button, and none of them work, right? I need this one password. And, and to drive this home, one of my passwords that I use is only Jesus. And it hit me as I was thinking about this. This is hilarious and sad that that's the password I use on my computer, but it's not always the password I use in my life. Isn't that true? Jesus is the one thing that is needed, and he's asking us here to live life with this actual perspective that he is the one thing that is needed, to live life with this, this nothing but Jesus perspective where I encounter every situation I'm in and say, he's what I need. He's it. He is all I need, and I need to draw near to him right now and let him work in my life. See, everything else falls into place when that one password is in place, when I really am living with that nothing but Jesus perspective. So here's the question. Are we going to keep striving harder and harder on our own? That never works, right, guys? We, we get to these points in life, and I don't know why we don't learn, but we try and we try and we try and we try, and it doesn't change anything, right? And there are times that we need to get to a point where we just say, stop, I'm going to quit striving on my own. Remember Psalm 4610? Last week we were at our director's conference up at this ranch. If you come, you'll see what I'm talking about this summer. There's a pond on the ranch, and I'm out walking in the morning for my quiet time, and I get to the pond, and there's a canoe there. And Erin knows. She's from the boating family. They rafted and canoed. She's been out on the pond with our kids a million times, and the only... One or two times that I've been out, I let her do all the paddling. <laughs> but anyway, I get there, I'm all alone, and I said, I'm going to go out in this canoe on this pond. And it was so peaceful. So I pull out my phone, and I'm going to read. So I open up the Bible app on my phone, and it just happened to be where I left it the night before when our president had been speaking from Psalm 46. And I'm reading this challenge in verse 10 to be still, to cease striving and to know that he is God. And as I sat there on that pond, I think God really connected with me and said, Nate, this is what I want for you. I'm not preaching to you guys today because I think you all have a lot of problems with this issue. This, this message is probably as vulnerable a message as I could ever teach on. Because like I said in the beginning, it's not my nature. I'm a doer. I'm a go-getter. I'm always... You can ask Aaron, I've always got a million things on the list, and I'm always pushing it and going for it. And it's hard for me to take the time to just intimately connect with Jesus. 
I wake up every morning at 5.30 for my quiet time, but often even that becomes something that I'm just trying to work through. I'm trying to work through so much time in the Word. I'm trying to work through time in prayer because I know that's what is important for Christians to do. It's been so long since I lived my life with a daily just sit at Jesus' feet and enjoy Him and let Him be the main focus of my life. Do you guys get what I'm saying? We get so busy. I get so busy. I'm not pointing the finger. I need this. So today, when we get to this place where I'm asking you to say, are we going to make a decision together to live life with this nothing but Jesus perspective? There are three ways that I think that each of us can do this. Number one, Jesus said it. This is important. Jesus said in Mark 6, 30 through 32, he's talking to his ministry-weary disciples. They've been serving and serving and serving and serving. And this is what... Mark 6 tells us, verses 30 through 32, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught, right? For him, of course. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. I have often felt like that in ministry, both figuratively and actually literally. I sit on the college campus. Most of my lunches are eating a sandwich while I'm talking with a student, Um, I don't ever schedule a lunch break. It's like this in ministry very often. Okay, here's what Jesus said to them. He said, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away with him by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. This is what we need. This is one way to apply this. Get away alone with Jesus and get some rest with him. Spiritual rest. That Hebrews 4, entering into God's rest type of rest. Aaron and I are actually doing that this week. We have a babysitter for uh, the night, and we're going to leave our kids, and we're going to go spend an afternoon, a night, and a morning just connecting together and with God in prayer. All right, so that's one way that you could do it. Get alone with God and have this intimate time connecting with him. Your schedules are busy, but you and I need this desperately. So when you get home today, actually pull out your calendar and ask yourself, when can I just get alone with God? And connect deeper with him. Okay, second. Here's an incredible way that we can each connect more and more with Jesus. And enjoy that fellowship with him. We need to immerse ourselves in his word. Guys, we really need to get deep in scripture. It's been said that we only respect God as much as we respect his word. And that's very true. Right? A lot of times when I'm talking to my kids and they're looking away and they're not paying attention, what do I tell them? That's not respectful. Look me in the eyes and listen to what I'm saying. Right? When I listen to God by getting in his word, I'm respecting him and showing him that I love him. So immerse yourself in his word. And guess what 2 Peter 1.3 says? It says you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. Through what? Through your knowledge of him. That comes from his word. As I get in his word, deep and deep and deeper in his word, I receive everything that I need for life and godliness, through him in his word. Isn't that true? The one thing that's needed. Okay, third, step out in faith, trusting him rather than your circumstances. This is exciting. Like I said in the beginning, this all comes to a point of application. right? When I actually take a step of faith and trust God, he actually comes through, and he shows me that he really is in charge of my situations, and that he really is the one thing that's needed. I see him change things. Right? So that's my last application point, is find an area of your life that you've been holding back and saying, I'm not going to 
do that. I'm not going to take that step. For a lot of people, that might be something like evangelism. That might be leading some ministry idea here at the church that you haven't stepped out and chosen to lead yet. Or that might be any host of other issues. My encouragement is take that step and trust God. I always tell our students, you don't have what it takes, but the Holy Spirit in you does. Right? The same Holy Spirit that empowered Paul to share boldly around the world, he's in each one of you today. And I'm sure he's up to the task to empower you for that step of obedience that you know God has called you to. So take that step. Trust God. Realize, God, if you don't show up, I'm dead. The step that we're taking this summer to go to Albuquerque, these risks that we're taking are really the biggest risks of our lives. We're walking away from a ministry that we've led for many years. We're taking staff down to this new city that none of, no, not one person on our team has ever lived in. We're trusting God to do things that we believe he has called us to do, that we've prayed about for almost three years now, that all of our staff have prayed about and believe is the way God is calling us. But you know what? It's a huge risk. And I really feel more than I ever have in my life, if God doesn't show up, we're dead meat. But I would encourage you to take a step like that because he's going to work in your life. It might not be the way you expect, but he'll do something that only he could do. Bill Bright put it this way. He said, there are no unhappy, obedient Christians and there are no happy, disobedient Christians. Isn't that true? There are no unhappy, obedient Christians and there are no happy, disobedient Christians. It's absolutely the case. Okay, so here's what I want you to process as we close this out. What key takeaway from today's message do you need to apply? And who are you going to ask to keep you accountable to do that? It's pretty simple, right? What key takeaway do you want to apply? And who are you going to ask to keep you accountable to it? See, we all might say, yeah, I need to have this nothing but Jesus perspective. But guess what? All these other things that distracted Martha, they're going to be distracting each of us 30 minutes after I'm done talking. Right? (laughs) It's reality. So who are you going to talk to and say, keep me accountable to this? I really want to live life with this nothing but Jesus perspective. Let's talk about it every week and ask each other how we're doing. I have an accountability partner, and even this year we've challenged each other to take steps that neither of us ever wanted to take in our walk with God. And I wouldn't have taken it if I didn't have this friend and accountability partner challenging me to take it. There were steps that were not easy, not fun, not pleasant. Uh, But they were so rewarding and so good. So find that accountability partner. Another way that you could apply some of this on this application side of things is to come join us for this conference this summer. Again, the flyers in the back, it's only 175. That covers the whole thing, food, lodging, everything. It'll be a really good time to learn how to share your faith and make disciples. And honestly, guys, I don't know what else is closer to God's heart than those things. All right, so... In conclusion, it's so important that we apply this stuff. We were recently in Albuquerque, and our, do- our daughters came down with this fevers, and they were saying their throats hurt. So we thought, strep throat, you know. So we go to the doctor, and he doesn't do the strep test, but he says, yeah, it's strep throat, and he writes out these prescriptions. And we get back, and our one daughter is reacting to it, like breaking out all over and freaking out. So we take her to the doctor, and they find out she doesn't have strep throat at all. So whatever she had, it wasn't strep, but she was on this antibiotic for strep. And that always kind of freaks me out. My degree in college was chemistry. I was doing that as a pre-med student. I hate the idea of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. That kind of freaks me out. And the fact that this doctor kind of unintelligently wrote a prescription without even doing a test, 
for something that turned out to not be the case. I didn't like that. In fact, yesterday we drove by that same doctor's office in Albuquerque. I told Aaron, we need to get our money back. We need to call them and tell us to give our money back because that was ridiculous. But anyway, as I'm driving out thinking about this message this morning, this is what hits me. I do this with God. I develop Jesus-resistant defense mechanisms. Does that make sense? When I don't apply what we just talked about, I train myself that it's okay to live life with a busy schedule and just getting things done. Because guess what? Things happen, and there are results. And God is glorified. He really is, because he'll be glorified through anything, right? And I start to train myself. It's really okay to to have a Martha perspective. You know, in the end, it all works out, and God gets glorified. So I want to encourage you. This is so important to take this home and apply this. And mothers, as we talk about Mother's Day, I can't think of a better lesson to leave your kids. Here's what Susanna Wesley, mother of John and Charles Wesley, said. She said, the heart must perceive and know God to be the supreme good, her only happiness. And the soul must feel and acknowledge that she can have no repose, no peace, no joy, but in loving and being loved by him. If you could pass that lesson on to your kids, I don't think there'd be any greater thing that you could ever do for them. So we have these two perspectives, an anything but Jesus perspective and a nothing but Jesus perspective. We're all going to be tempted numerous times today even to have the anything but Jesus perspective. My challenge to you and to myself is to look at life with a nothing but Jesus perspective and then to walk in grace when I don't have that. Jesus loved Martha dearly. It actually says he loved Mary and Martha. Even when she had the anything but Jesus perspective, Jesus loved her dearly. Scripture says that nothing can separate you from God's love. Even if you've lived this anything but Jesus perspective for years, he loves you dearly. And he's not holding it over you. He just wants you to come fellowship with him at his feet. Paul put it this way, and I can't think of a better verse to close with, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I actually consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I hope that's your desire this morning. I know it's mine. And if you see me in the future, ask me how I'm doing with this passage. Ask me if I'm making that time for deep fellowship with Jesus. We had a friend that actually texted me the other morning, and I never hear from him really. And he texts me. He's actually Aaron's dad's best friend. And he goes, in my quiet time this morning, he goes, don't take this the wrong way, Nate. But I feel like God told me to call you and say, you need to relax and connect with him. <laughs> and I, I responded, I said, Kurt, you can text me that anytime you want. Because I need it. I need it. Okay? We all need it. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us so unconditionally, even when we live with an anything but you perspective. God, I pray that you change my heart to have a nothing but you perspective in every aspect of my life. God, I pray that you'd help me value and prioritize time and intimacy with you over anything else in all of life. God, I thank you that there's, that there's nothing more in this life. You're it, Jesus, and that's a very good thing. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with you because we trust in you, not because we're perfect at any of these things. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.